Welcome back to another episode of Adventures in Machine Learning. I'm one of your hosts, Michael Burke, and I do data engineering and machine learning at Databricks. And I am not joined by my co-host today. It's very sad. Uh, so Databricks Engineering actually has required PTO, and Ben was was tapped, and he is not allowed to do anything professional over the next few days. So it is just myself, Agata, and Kashia. Agata and I have actually met in person, and uh, she's sort of a personal friend. And then this is my first time meeting Kashia, but we're going to have a really cool philosophical discussion. Um, but let me quickly intro them. So Kashia comes from sort of a sociology background, and she started uh, about almost 20 years ago as the president of the management board at Citizen Network Watchdog Pulp. And that's going to be one of the main topics for today. And now she's currently the program director. And then Agata, a personal friend, we met in a storytelling class. Uh, kind of a weird concept, but uh, we both lived in New York and we're trying to... Well, actually, I'd be curious to hear your reasoning for doing it. But at least I wanted to get better at saying concise and clear stories. Um, and it was also just a cool way to meet interesting people. Um, but on a professional level, she got her PhD in theoretical physics and then moved to the data science space and currently works as a senior data scientist at Spotify. So that's the high level. But do you guys mind elaborating a little bit about sort of who you guys are and what we'll be talking about today? Hmm. Should I start? Um, hello, everyone. I'm Agata. Uh, I'm very uh, happy to be here. Uh, as Michael said, uh, my background is in theoretical physics, so I did... Um, work in uh, research in academia for a couple of years, and then I moved uh, to data science. Uh, I was working for a couple of years in Warsaw on a variety of projects in, in machine learning. And uh, now I'm working uh, more in data science slash data engineering uh, field um, at Spotify. But also I'm uh, a songwriter, and my connection to Kasia is coming from there, but uh, um, it also touches on machine learning, uh, as we will tell you a little bit more later. Um, and I'm very much interested in data science, machine learning, AI, and how it impacts uh, our society and then the way we live. So that's, and about storytelling. Um, so I'm also interested in presenting or improv theater and storytelling in general. Um, and I had a, a great opportunity to be in New York and do a storytelling course with Adam Wade, with, where I met Michael, and it was, it was awesome. Yeah, it was cool. Awesome. So now, now, now my turn. My name is Kasia. I'm working. Actually, I should say that uh, this is the civic activity in the uh, Citizens Network Watchdog Poland that I'm now representing. The civic activity has chosen me. It was that I, I was really resisting in, uh, when I was a student at, uh, of sociology at University of Warsaw. I expected my life to be very um, regular <laughs> and ordered. And uh, I was going to earn good money in business. Uh, and actually, at the beginning of my uh, professional trip, I was pretty good in that. But at some point, uh, at the beginning of 2000s, I started to get engaged in the activities record, um, related to uh, the integrity of state or integrity of governance in general. And at the beginning, I tried to join my both activities, so to be in business and to be uh, civically involved. But at some at some point, it's just uh, make takes all of your life. And, and uh, this is really a great adventure because when you do something, there is a lot of people around who would like to support you. And Agata is one of those who I met actually, now I realized it quite a Many long years time ago. ago. Yeah. I think it was 2017. So Maybe. taking into account that we, well, it was six years ago and the organization is 20 years old. So it's a pretty big part of our organizational life that we spent together with Agata, who was a great supporter and who is among many others who helped us to come from the state of the organization in the beginning of of the of this century when actually you know email was at that time kind of something that was used only by part of our members and now we are in a moment when we have the 
technology on our side. Uh, and actually, sometimes we think how to stop technology. So I can see it from 20 years, uh, over these 20 years, we changed a lot as an organization, but we still have the same mission. The mission is to have the um, just state, just, author- just authorities, uh, integrity in public life. We are not always very successful, but we are uh, for sure um, gathering a group of people who expect better governance uh, in Poland. Got it. So Citizen Network Watchdog Poland, that's the name of the organization. What do you guys do day to day? Uh, so we are the, as I said, we are locally based. Uh, we we have members in all over Poland. And this, at the beginning, these were people who were interested in integrity of local authorities. In Poland, local authorities, of course, this is completely different um, scale than in the United States. So Poland has around uh, thirty-eight inhabitants, a thousand inhabitants. So the local government, we have 2,500 local governments, which means that we have 2,500 mayors and these mayors plus councils have quite a lot of uh, responsibilities for local life. So they spend money, they take a lot of decisions that have direct, direct impact on people's lives. And the problem was that people realized that those people who were elected by them are not always playing by the rules. And those people started to gather and think how they can prevent different abuses. Mm, And so this is how we started our activities. And we discovered that the best tool to prevent any abuse is to have knowledge, to know. So our main right that we protect is uh, right to know. And this is what we do on every day. So we promote the right to know. We inform citizens that they have this right. You have to be aware that we are a country that changed the system in 1989. So a bit, almost 35 years ago, actually. Uh, but, uh, But we, people were kind of, uh, Used, they, they, they understood that asking questions, uh, being in contact with any type of power is something that may hurt. So the important thing that we did was to promote right to know and to tell people that they have this right and they, have, they should use it. So one thing is about promotion. Another thing is about education. And then educated people who are aware of the right to know, they go and they ask questions, they, they want to know. And sometimes there is a resistance on the administration part. So we help them, we give advice, and we also go with them to the court if it doesn't work. And we also go to the court with our own cases. And because we have a huge knowledge on that, then we do advocacy. We want to change the system or we want to change the law. Depends on the identified problems. So this is the typical circle of all watchdog organizations that they discover, they attract people, they discover problems, they try to change the system, then people use this system and sometimes they discover that there is a problem and it goes in this circle uh, several times. Um, But I would be... I would be happy to say that we went this circle several times. It's not that easy. Uh, so anyway, we work with people. What I want to say is that we work with people, regular citizens, lame, not, I wouldn't say laymen, because these are people who are civically interested in something. So they went out of the comfort zone, but they, um, uh, but, but it's not the only thing that we do because we also work with different type of types of authorities with parliament, with the ministries, but with local authorities. But we also do something that we, and I think this is the most interesting in for this uh, podcast, is about working with data because we gather huge amounts of data. And technology was something that is crucial in, in helping us with that. Got it. So I have like 500 million questions. <laughs> Let me start with some of the Well, actually, let me start with a bit of a perspective. So I'm an American. I have been an American my whole life, Uh, pretty much lived in a few other countries at some point. But um, 
the culture around data in America is very interesting because there's so much of it and everybody believes that their data are correct. Like no matter what who you are, you know your data are right and everybody else is wrong, especially in the past few years. And that's been a very interesting cultural shift um, because prior to that, there were typically, we would work with facts and now facts are sort of a loose term. Um, so I have one question for both of you. How do you guys think about defining true information? Because theoretically, as, as the old saying goes, there are always two sides to a story and the truth is in the middle. How do you think about saying that a fact is actually a fact? That's a very big question. <laughs> yeah, um, diving right in. <laughs> I, I'll try to very quickly um, share my perspective. Uh, I think what comes to my mind is like two things come to my mind. Um, in the context of watchdog organizations that I've been supporting for uh, a number of years now, uh, I see it as a way or to execute your citizens' right to information, to public information, and uh, a process or legal process in which you can enter and ask authorities uh, certain questions and gather data. Now then, there is a, since it's a legal process, there is a... I think hidden assumption that the data that you acquire from those authorities should be correct. And I guess in most of the cases is correct. And I think it's also sometimes used by journalists. So when you, when you ask me about uh, correctness of data or different, you know, versions of facts, uh, journalistic work or like uh, uh, critical, th critical, critical thinking and investigation, investigation uh, related to journalism comes to my mind. Um, and then there is a uh, second part uh, as a data scientist and a person who more or less follows what happens with, uh, you know, AI. I see the risk of, you know, fake news. Uh, I see how easily it spreads um, in social media. I see how we are lacking education about how to learn how to distinguish or how to investigate. So I think what, what is common for these two things, for these two areas, is that you could use uh, your um, civic right to you know, access public information to investigate whether something is correct or not. Um, so I think that um, what Kasia was saying about education, I think that is a really powerful tool that legally, at least in Poland, we have that right written in our constitution that you can uh, ask questions to the authorities and get information from them up to a certain point. Now, of course, this is not applicable to any any personal news that people are sharing in social media, obviously. So you uh, you can have somebody lying in, in this public space and it might be very hard to investigate that and prove them wrong. And it will most of all take time. And um, so I don't know what's, so these things come to my mind when you when you ask me this que that question, uh, and I think it's very difficult to to prove people wrong or prove that they are lying if they are providing fake news. Um, but we have some tools to do that, right? Kasia. <laughs> yeah. So when you were talking, of course, I do agree. Uh, so when you were talking, Agata, um, the first thing that came to my mind is space, the, the timing, the, the moment when you get false information, it gets to you, it, it, it comes to you much faster than the reliable uh, information if reliable information is not online already. So what you said about the legal process, request and asking and then verify, even not verifying because you, we assume we can believe public information, but of course, public information is not the only one in the information sphere. And there is a lot of information that kind of impacts public sphere because it raises emotion. People take decisions on the, on, on the basis of this information, but, and you know, they are really, they are real in this term that, um, that they can um, even change decisions because politicians sometimes are more afraid of the pressure 
than on of the facts. So generally, this is kind of my, our, I think, frustration is that uh, with this, of course, we need educated society that is kind of uh, proved, it has kind of a, I don't know, barrier for the false information, for fake news, that is able to check it, to be, you know, uh, aware that if there is a lot of emotions, be careful. It may mean that someone wants to change your way of thinking or someone wants to influence your decisions, or, uh, that you should verify the source of the information, that you should be um, uh, able to check it in the internet, whether the picture, uh, if there is a picture, you should verify that. So, of course, there is plenty of training for people who want to be educated. But of course, a lot of people don't want to be educated. And sometimes there is a need to react fast, uh, to put some kind of counter narrative, but you need to have reliable information to do that. And this is why data is that important. So generally, we are now thinking in Poland about changing the law. And we out, the, the whole pressure is on putting more information online. So what you say, Michael, that people believe in data is, of course, important because I remember being in 2009 in the, in the United States and you already at that time, which is obvious, of course, that already, uh, at that time you had the, this data marathons, hackathons, meetings, meetups, different things that we went there and we thought, wow, we should have it in Europe. And we started to have it later on. But still, we are not very satisfied. Of course, open data, this is a big issue. In whole Europe, European Union has a special directive on that. European Union explains that you can have um, products created on data so that economy uh, gets extra money and so on. But first of all, someone has to produce data. And here we come to the uh, pretty gray reality, I would say, which means that in like uh, in in uh, last year, there was a research of all, all local governments who have data on housing, uh, different types of social uh, assistance, uh, education, different things. And there was a research whether they know what type of data they have. I don't even say about having like one place where all these data are gathered, but whether they, in their offices, they know what they gather. And this data, mm, uh, this is called uh, um, a listing of data or something like that. And most of the local communities, uh, local administration offices, they don't have it. So this is difficult sometimes to get information just because there is no data organization in any way. Uh, so this, so, okay, we expect that more data is online, but at the same time, we have to be aware how it looks on the local level and why they don't have it well done, because they don't have people who are competent. So this process of having good data is a pretty long one. And if you say, can we believe in data? Mm, there is a lot of mistakes, of course, in data. And this is not only Polish problem. This is like recognized problem that sometimes uh, public officials or administration doesn't want to uh, release data because they are afraid that someone is going to discover uh, errors, but no one is going to discover errors if it's not made uh, given freely to, to the public opinion. So generally, this is a cycle uh, that uh, that is connected with uh, releasing data. So, so I, I can say we can't fully trust, but we can trust people who are competent enough to verify them. Without that, no one knows that there is an error or they learn about that too late. <laughs> Got it. Have you guys, in the, so you've been with the organization for like 20 years now or almost 20 years. Um, have you guys ever made any mistakes that you are not happy with? Not to put you on the spot, but have you ever mistakes. made mistakes? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, there are stressful situations, I would say, uh, and they are very often connected. The most stressful situations are connected with the high high profile cases. When we went to the court and the 
difficulty of a case was uh, too too much for us. Uh, and this is usually when you do it against someone very powerful. Uh, so I wouldn't say it's a mistake. Of course, we made a lot of mistakes. I will come to it, but it's more on organizational side, on on management and all other stuff. But but the biggest problems that we had was like now in Poland, we have um, a government that is uh, so-called illiberal, which means that uh, different democratic institutions don't work properly. So politicians sometimes use, abuse. There is This is like a general problem that any politician can abuse power or public money. The abuse of of uh, of uh, decision making uh, power is pretty strong now in Poland, and we went against the kind of crony of the current government, which is a priest that has influence on uh, several constituencies of the ruling party, and. This was a moment when we were under huge pressure because we had just a freedom of information case. We asked about money that this priest's uh, organization got from the government. They didn't want to release it. In Poland, you can go to the court, the criminal court with such a case because they were really resisting of giving us this information. And then the minister of justice started to comment on that. And this was... This was not a mistake, but I think we learned a lot on that. That it's not, it's not like going with average case. That if you go to the, if you really touch someone who is powerful, you will feel it. Uh, it's not about uh, death threats or something like that, but it's, but it's enough that you feel really stressed. But of course, and, I, I think something more relevant to, to, to the podcast is connected with data management. Very often we ask about too much data and we are not able to proceed it. So we had a lot of uh, new policies, how we are not going to do it once again in the same way. Uh, now I feel that we are at, after these 20 years, because it's exactly 20 years actually this year, I'm... Uh, um, I'm in the organization from the beginning, but uh, 2004 is is more um, like the, the, the starting point. But it, we really started in 2003, 20 years ago. And over these 20 years, we always wanted to know more than we could then proceed because we were not asking about processed data. We were asking about documents. So if you ask 2,000 entities for one document, and they will send you scans or different, they will ask you in all possible ways. And then you have this content, you look at that and you have no idea what to do with that. There is interesting information there, but it's quite a lot of work. Then you think, okay, if I make a mistake, who should verify me? How to verify it? How to organize the whole process? And then you are dead. And at the end, you have the final result. You analyzed that, but you have no not enough energy to go to the media, to make a proper work with the results of your work. So now we, first of all, we never ask 2000 entities. We now have a random sample, a random representative sample. Second thing, we always go, ah, we always go with those who don't answer our, our requests to the court because they learned at some point that we ask so many questions that we are not able to go with everybody to the court. We have a person who is keeping an eye on the accuracy of our database for requests. And finally, we have artificial intelligence that helps us a lot in analyzing this data. So after 20 years, we can say, now we can manage our own activities. Whoa, artificial intelligence. That seems mm. like a pretty Sorry. cool topic, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so, Agata, in your experience, have you ever seen, or how would, how would you apply basically ML techniques to verifying the quality of data, especially when data are unstructured and there's a ton of it? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I haven't been involved in the, in the project that Kasia was um, 
talking about uh but i think today or like some some days ago we were chatting about using chat gpt for some of the activities that um uh citizens network to watch the poland is doing um I think I would look at the at watchdog's data and try to learn at scale something about um for example when can you expect some lower quality data from historical perspective or like based on the data that you are uh receiving from the entities that they are uh requesting from I don't know if that answers your question but now it's a thought that came to my mind um wait so that, so digging a little deeper you would sort of have a a label that determines if it's high or low quality and try to train maybe i mean from the histo- so from what kasha said um there is a history of like how they were interacting with some entities or local authorities right and how they were responding and what type of quality or completeness of data they were delivering uh, as an answer to the request for public information. So it could be interesting to maybe build a model that uh, predicts where to ask or which entities to ask. That could be one thing. Uh, I don't know if that scales well, and I don't know if you, if uh, the watchdogs would have enough data to build a good model, but let's say you cannot ask everyone, but you would like to ask people who may have issues with answering. So. If you if you have an entity or local authority that uh, works well and they they always were replying, you kind of know that things are like working well in that uh, region. Uh, the processes are good. There is transparency. But you are more interested in areas where you are you know suspecting that transparency or uh, public information is not um, released or not. Uh, published. So could you uh, build a model to predict that? Um, Because otherwise, like for cleaning data, like I've interacted with some of the data that uh, watchdogs are working with and the problems that they are having are, I mean, you, you can apply some techniques to, you know, to just check some, perform some basic checks of data quality. Uh, It's often like tabular data. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily, as a first thing, apply fancy ML techniques to do that, but I think you can apply ML to ask some other questions that could be interesting. Um, and my, I I can maybe share, uh, share one story where we thought about using ML in an interesting way, uh, for our collaboration. So um, my collaboration with watchdogs was uh, related to uh, non-data science related stuff. It was about uh, creating um, radio ads for one of their campaigns. So basically I was creating 30 second little music uh, or like songs or creations. And at some point, so each year we tried to come up with a new idea. And uh, several years ago we were discussing using ML models that generate uh, human voice. So you have these um, uh, models that, uh, based on vocal samples, can generate somebody saying the words that you input as a text, right? Now, several years ago, uh, and I, okay, I don't know if what's the status right now, but at that point, it was really a gray zone, legally. Uh, it was not clear whether we would be able to, you know, create such thing and uh, share it publicly if we use, for example, politicians' voice to say something they we wanted them to say, for example, support uh, watchdogs um, and share that on, you know, public radio stations. Uh, so we did not go with that idea to use, you know, AI. Um, and now um, we see this technology being used uh, not only in some major products, and technologies, you know, uh, on a daily basis. But also, I think a couple of weeks ago, we had a case where one party in Poland uh, used that technology to generate uh, the voice of uh, prime minister to say something that he wrote. 
and it stirred uh, some comments, like uh, some controversy. Uh, and I think it's really interesting that maybe it's good that we didn't go several years ago uh, and we didn't create that uh, um, spot with with this technology. Um, but we see it now, so. Yeah, that's crazy. So the fact that intonation is such a important part of verbal communication, like I like apple pie, I like apple pie, I like apple pie. Like they're all completely different. And so com converting essentially words into speech, kind of tricky. And also, so were, were there, was there sort of pushback with this politician where uh, it might have not accurately represented the words? Or what was the concern around that? Um, I think the legal aspects in general, like whether you, because in principle we could, and we used samples of politicians speaking, we used them, those samples, um, for one of the ads that we did, but here we are talking about generating, uh, them telling, like, it wasn't a recorded, um, uh, speech. It would be a generated speech based on their brand, like their voice. So, uh, and we were also afraid of controversy. So we didn't want to. Um, I think it was a part of our the, the branding of it. Like, if we go with such controversial thing, um, you might be remembered for that. You might uh, generate more negative, you know, uh, impressions than positive ones. Um, so for an organization like Watchdog Poland, it was also a matter of what is our identity here? Like what, how do we want to be perceived? Um, should we touch this, you know, uh, should we use this technology? Um, well, so that, these were the questions. It wasn't the reaction of somebody's, some, a politician who didn't want to, uh, his or her voice to be used. Um, but it was more thinking about the branding, the the perception of this. Yeah, I was about to say, Akasha, I mean, if you spend 20 years building the trust of an organization where trust is the integral part of, of what you're selling, um, do you are you guys sometimes more careful than you would like to be? Well, we always... Um, it's... Uh, the, when Agatha was speaking, I thought, okay, organization that talks about the truth is now falsifying something, that this is exactly about trust. But on the other hand, social media are not that serious. So we overcame in 2014 our stiffness and we started to play the game with the with our constituency in social media and different places. So to some extent, at that moment when we were talking with Agatha about that, it was rather in my guts that I felt no, then I was able to explain why not. But we also had, because there is no, I don't, ha I don't know about the legal uh, 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 activities against anyone who used that, because this is still a gray zone, gray zone but it does impact reputation. I will tell you about the case of our members. So it was not activity of the organization, but we promoted that. One of our members was nominated to be personality of the year in one of the cities in Poland. But this personality of the year, this is an annual contest all over Poland on local level, on regional level. One of the newspapers, a chain of newspapers makes this personality of the year contest and then people send text messages that are paid and they vote for this person so you can have having money you can vote for yourself like uh, 300 times you will pay for that but you will be a personality of the year and people were frustrated with that so what she did she made an artificial figure so she made uh, she built a cv of a person who had a name bio and the face, and face was a mixture of her face and someone, el uh, someone else's face. Anyway, she went through the whole concept and she won it for, for the whole contest and she won it. So she went to the gala 
to the gala dinner. She took the um, the diploma for that. And then she just made a statement in social media saying, okay, so this and this person got this award. It never exists. No one checked it. And this is a personality of the year. And this was something that was really extremely popular in the internet. But a lot of people said, Oh no, this watchdog Poland, what you are do- doing? You, you, now you play with artificial intelligence. So of course it hits reputation. So with the artificial intelligence, we have, to, uh, with deep fakes, you know, generally it's not perceived as very ethical. <laughs> so this was something that was done by someone else. So like our member, but still with a good reason, kind of provocation. So we could explain it. But if we wanted to have money thanks to that or win something thanks to that, then I think it's dubious. So uh, so, so it's not something that we would do. Uh, although, I don't know, maybe it's going to be the biggest fun in the future. Difficult to say, but the, the problem is when I talked about the false information that is, that is much faster than a reliable one, so I think this is like the the new challenge. The people are going to believe it. I'm yeah, afraid. it's interesting. Also, I've I've heard that negative information spreads a lot faster and easier than positive information. Um, it's true. So more that, emotions. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Because people can get more stirred up and supportive mm-hmm. of something bad than like a cute puppy. Although cute puppies are great. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's super interesting. And so when you did that, it's almost seemed like um, a combination of sort of like a political stunt with also indicating the power of deep fakes. Were you guys intending to do that from the outset or what, what was the intentions of that project? Well, this was someone who just wanted to, uh, the, you mean this deep fake uh, personality. This right. was like the individual activity of someone who is just creative, who is active citizen in, on the local level is creative and who just killed the killed the idea that for years was kind of abusing people's hopes because it was like you know you are nominated you are kind of a local hero someone who does something important on the local level and they tell you that you are a personality but there are also other personalities and then people uh, vote through text messages and then it doesn't really matter who you are and your work really doesn't matter it's more about earning money of those who are organizers of the whole uh, event anyway it was done for many years so people who are more like i would say civically aware saw it so at the beginning they refused they said, we are not going to take part in this. And she was the first one who kind of showed that this is completely fake uh, contest because it's fake. If someone who is fake can get the, this title of the personality of the year, it means nothing is behind it. Of course, there were other uh, ethical dilemma uh, connected with the fact that for some people, this was something that supported their local activity. The fact that they were named personality of the year, because sometimes they were really personalities of the year. You know, the fact that there is no this uh, contest means that they will be not appreciated by anyone. By anyone. So it's always there are two sides to the coin. And this is the case when, when someone could really get credits, deserved credits, from the um, from the situation, while this uh, situation probably probably killed the con- the the idea forever. Although I don't know, maybe this uh, because this was for sure uh, image crisis for the newspaper chain of newspapers. So maybe they are going to next year to make a real contest without. Uh, voting through text, paid text messages. It's possible that they will change something and then they will verify um, who who is the candidate. So, so I don't know. But what 
you know, our people are not always people interested only in freedom of information. These are just people who are interested in justice, I would say, in, in rule of law, in justice, in, 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 in rules that are reflecting situation of, of different people, not rules that those who have money, they have power and they can give you, they can respect you or not. So, so I think that this was the idea just of individual person, but because we promoted that and this is our member. So we, we also got quite a lot of criticism and quite, and a lot of, uh, respect for that. So I, I wouldn't say that it was only co- criticism. I just wanted to say that this is, you know, this is pretty risky to use it. I think it's a, it's a good question whether an organization that is uh, referring to you know, trust, transparency, correctness of data goes um, when promoting or like tries to draw attention by doing something opposite. I'm not saying that we shouldn't do it, uh, but it can be tricky, right? Yeah, it's definitely a fine line to walk. And you got to be yeah. careful. So yeah, speaking of sort of individuals and personal information, I was wondering how you guys balance data privacy with data accessibility. And to put a little bit of context, um, so I've been working in the data field for a bit now, like five-ish years, depending upon how you calculate it. And it's absolutely freaking mind-blowing how much information everybody has about you. Like, so for instance, I uh, sometimes use, uh, well, for, for just going back to my first job, um, we had a 401k. The amount of information that is in that 401k about my, my personal statement, my social security number, all of that, that is sometimes shared with other companies. And um, there, if you just Google around, you'll see the, I don't want to name names, but like, the bigger organizations that actually send a lot of this information to, to people that need it. So, for instance, at my prior organization, 2B Fox's Streaming Service, um, we didn't have people su- required uh, to be signed in to watch stuff. Um, so it's ad supported video on demand. And so you can just click on it like YouTube. But the question is, how do they get information about you to improve personalization and recommendation content? Well, you can go and buy it. You can go sort of do fuzzy matching based on IP address or actual device IDs and then try to get information about that person. And all this information is just sold all over the place for millions, if not billions of dollars. And it's it's kind of crazy. Um, so yeah, if you're curious to learn more about it, just Google. But how do you guys as an organization try to balance the fact that uh, data should be sort of private and owned by the creator versus uh, it's a marketplace and there's a high demand for it. Um, And also curious how you think about it from a European GDPR perspective versus an American perspective. So European GDPR um, uh, directive is something that really stops several activities, to be frank, uh, just because we have to be very careful with every data that we have. Generally, if we had more data online because we we have quite a lot of registers online and these registers are registers of land land usually have some owners registers of um, different types of business uh, entities or uh, social entities where like my data for example are in the register of associations where there is my personal number in the main database of the country and uh, and m- my name, so someone can know about myself that I'm uh, in I'm working in uh, Watchdog Poland. And if I had a company, they could know that I'm this person who runs the company and who has a land and so on. And they can build profile. But still, I think that it's not like our institutions what they do. Our institutions, they st- stop taking this um, kind of restrict opportunities to build big uh, profiles. So to some extent, it is limited. And also, I think that we still need to have bigger discussion because people, data protection um, people, they usually say, try to stop all registers that will have too many personal information. Of course, we are on the opposite side saying 
no, 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 there are uh, registers that are important for public life. So let's discuss. And it's still a quarrel uh, because I, I, I understand the arguments of the, the other side, but still I think that we are now in Poland in the situation where we don't have enough data online. But if we don't look at data and we look at the real case that we had in, uh, when I argument, my arguments were for releasing data, but I had doubts actually afterwards. And this was connected. Well, this is a bigger issue of, um, uh, of the political climate, uh, because This was a moment when we always asked political parties to be more transparent because they decide on everything when they are in the government or in parliament. So it's important who pays them. And um, of course, they can have only money from individual people. Polish law doesn't allow too many abuses, but, but in fact, many things happen anyway. From one of the parties, we got a list of payers uh, and uh, we believed it should be released because if anyone wants to go to the people who are employed, sorry, and this uh, this, uh, this is something that you can go to the National Election Committee after elections and you can see it in the books, but it's in paper. While we got the information that we put online and one of the employed persons wrote to us that he does not allow for releasing his data. But we said, come on, this is public information. There is no reason to anonymize that, especially that anyone can get it from the electoral committee. And actually we defended ourselves and we are now even having uh, a law that allows that um, requires the register of contracts. So everybody in the political can see who is employed by the political party. But the guy also used the argument that he's an IT person. He was working for the left while the the environment of the IT people in Poland is very uh, very right radical people. And that for him being recognized as a supporter of the left, because he works for them, can be risky. And this made me think, of course, this was just individual case, but it made me think that maybe sometimes there are conditions in which we should take into account uh, releasing data that theoretically should be should be released. I know that there is a big discussion whether supporting political parties should be released and GDPR says no, Polish law says yes, so so it may change any time. But uh, but of course, this is what you said. Context context matters, and uh, and this context that is maybe not very important today, maybe important in a few years. Uh, in a few years' time, it may matter that something is known about you. And uh, and and I find it uh, as a, as something that re- uh, requires more reflection. My problem is that I am in kind of defense position because I always feel attacked by the privacy protection people who say no, 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 possible. I would like to have a just discussion uh, of pros and cons and ways how to protect things that may happen to people and 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 so on and i think this complexity of the world is going to even increase so so it might be that we will never resolve it probably we will never resolve it i don't know what agatha from your point of view because i I just i usually look at my practical experience (laughs) and dilemmas that i had i think your examples are far more uh interesting i mean i'm you know, I'm I'm a consumer of technology. I I use social media, and uh, my the data about m- myself is probably everywhere, and I try not to think it, think about it. Uh, but what comes to my mind is that I think um, even in Europe you have different perspective or different approach to privacy. So, for example, Poland versus Sweden. Uh, in Sweden, a lot of things are like transparent. Like you can uh, find a lot of information about you online. Um, 
And I'm not saying that one or the other solution or approach is better or worse. It's just different. And I think it relates also to mentality and historical or cultural context of a given country as well, plus the the, the legal aspects, right? Um, but I personally, I feel like that uh, it's great that, you know, for example, in Europe, there are some um, legal ways to protect privacy. So I may not be using that uh, on a daily basis, but I'm, it's good to have that. I forgot to mention when you said about Sweden, because of course, this is like the biggest discussion, uh, transparent salaries. This is something that is in, we have in Warsaw, Poland, we have our salaries online since 2012 or 13. And at the beginning, we tried to encourage other NGOs to put these uh, salaries online. Uh, and they were like, no, 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 no. You watchdogs can do it. We are not going to do that. And I had plenty discussions. Why no? You know, when people realize that they should release this information, when there is an attack, when someone is under pressure, then suddenly realize that giving data to those who attack them can be helpful. So in Poland, we have, you know, this is very slow process, but there is more and more people who talk about transparent salaries as something that uh, makes the uh, payments more equal because it shows whether men don't, you know, whether there is no b- better right. salaries for men or what are the differences between the management and people on the most, uh, um, on the lower, um, on the lower levels of the, in the organization. So, and I know that I, when we have our payment uh, schedule, I can't earn three times as much as someone on the like in administration, let's say. It has to be somehow justifiable. And this is why Sweden, where they have transparent incomes, in Sweden, people don't have, there is no such discrepancies between the poorest and the richest. Of course, I mean the majority of the society, because for sure there are very rich people who for generations had a lot of property and, you know, this is history and so on. But generally normal people working and like intellectual class, they are not having, there are no such discrepancies. And in Warsaw, Poland, we are very happy that we have uh, transparent salaries. There was like 20,000 visits on the website uh, with our salaries. No one comments, like once someone said, oh, not a lot. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's even there is even no attacks people who come to us to work they say we are very happy that you that you do that so it seems that the resistance is more on decision makers who would then have to show that these payment schedules are not very just that there are huge discrepancies that, that there are unjustifiable differences that someone gets a lot of bonuses someone else not and so on so generally this is the biggest issue about uh, personal data and this is personal have you heard about gdpr yes european union now thinks about another directive of of transparent salaries just because of the equality reasons so so it's not um, it's exactly, and Sweden is always an example of the, of the country where transparency doesn't uh, hurt, and and where where they have much more personal data available for others, and nothing happens. Of course, you know this is general picture. You will always find situation that is, um, I don't know, abused or is connected with some abuses. Yeah, it's it's so fascinating the cultural difference. I. This could be wrong. I think it's right. But I remember hearing from a friend that uh, in the U.S. we publicly publish top CEO salaries, or maybe it's like the top five people at a given company. That sounds generally right. And the actual salaries skyrocketed right after they were published. And it's because it was this sort of like pissing match or competition between all the CEOs. Oh, you make this much. I want to make more. Give me a raise. Versus in Europe, they're all like, wow, why do you make so much? Like you're overcompensating for something or like, what's your deal? <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's just so interesting to hear the 
the discrepancies. And also, um, I had worked a bit with uh, some Polish teams, and they think about money pretty differently from from Americans. It's it's so fascinating. Um, but yeah, I think we're coming up on time, so I'll quickly summarize and then kick it over to you too, if if people want to get it involved. Um, yeah, head is still spinning, but some things that stuck out for me, uh, for a citizen network watchdog Poland, um, they do a few things, but the core three that stuck out to me was promoting the right to know via sort of informing people in social media or things like that, um, providing actual knowledge, so trying to provide facts, and then legal advocacy, so they'll actually go to court and try to defend uh, the ability to access correct data. And then when thinking about data reliability, you should look at the source, see if it's a reputable source. Um, thinking about the phrasing of it, is it very emotional or is it sort of objective and factual? And also you can cross-reference with other sources. If this is the only piece of information that states this, maybe raise an eyebrow. And then in terms of data privacy, context is super, super important. Um, so you can sort of think about on a case-by-case, -case, is the data publicly available elsewhere? If it is, maybe you shouldn't have to have it erased. But who am I to say? Um, and then also, what would happen if the information is shared? So thinking about sort of a few steps down the line, if someone uses this information for good or for evil, what would happen? So those were a few points, uh, but there's a lot more. But if people want to learn more about Citizens Network Watchdog Poland or similar organizations, not just based out of Poland, where should they go? I think, Asha, you can share the, the website. Uh, so it's the easiest way is just to go watchdogpoland.pl .pl, watchdogpoland.pl. And there is also an English version of the, of the website and information on us. It's also possible to support us. Uh, you can do it uh, via PayPal uh, and it's written support us on the website. Um, we have people from abroad, probably Polish people from abroad, but we know that some of them support us, which means that they believe in our country and in change that is possible. I always like, um, I'm the Ashoka Fellow. Ashoka is the organization uniting social innovators. And when they write about me, they say, she wants Poland to be Sweden. So Agatha, <laughs> this is prophetic. <laughs> uh, oh, wow. uh, Agatha I think... already is our delegate to Sweden. <laughs> official foreign ambassador, official yeah, um, ambassador. Well, I just want to say that my involvement in what like was support for Watchdog was uh, it came from um, perspective that you don't have to donate money, but you can support them with something else, uh, knowledge or expertise, um, be it on songwriting or some data science uh, aspects of it. Uh, and I think it's also like the cool way to get involved in some kind of civic activities if you care about those. Uh, so it's not necessarily about money, but it's about you know, supporting in, in, in a variety of ways. Uh, and for me, what started as something, you know, something small um, uh, grew into something unexpected and grew into some kind of a friendship as well. Uh, so I really appreciate that and was super fun throughout these years to, to work with watchdogs. I recommend. Yeah, and just real quick before we sign off, if people want to get involved in similar data organizations, maybe they're not Polish. So are there, do you guys have a network or um, any recommendations for how to find similar organizations? Well, in the US, I have to say that I lost connection because organizations that I visited in the States, but they were not data organizations, but there was organization OMB Watch, for example, in the past, it doesn't work anymore. So I see that there is a huge, uh, but they were, they had a quite a long history. So, so I think this is what happened in the, in the United States, new organizations overtook from the old ones. And this is why I, I'm not very much in touch uh, with the US based, but in Paul, in Europe, there, there is a huge network of organizations dealing with something that is ask them like the different types of what did the, what do they know ask them or something like that and they have a system for asking questions if to the european institutions to the national institutions and they have plenty of data 
from these requests because regular citizens just send their, their, their requests. It's everybody can see it. And I think that uh, with them, especially with the British um, organizations that started this movement, uh, this is something that, that this is something interesting for uh, everybody who is interested in data. Cool. Sounds good. Well, until next time, it's been Michael Burke and my good friend Agata, and now my new good friend Kasia. Have a good day, everyone.